going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Greetings and salutations, my friends. A very happy Tuesday. A wide-ranging show that we have on the books ready to go. Speaking of books, that's where we're going to start. Do you read to your kids? Or if you don't have kids now, did you read to your kids? And have you noticed over the years how the books have changed? The content has changed a little bit. It's getting wider, the variety in which we're seeing some of that. And I was listening to the Family Matters podcast on the Curious Cast Network, of course, proud presentation of Chorus Entertainment, the parent company of this here radio station. And I didn't realize just how many books are written for kids right here in our own backyards here in Canada. Cynthia uh, Cynthia Prasso is Director of Student Experiences at the Workland School of Education over at the University of Calgary. She's going to join us in a few minutes to talk about the changing face of books. Also talk about how you don't necessarily have to write off those past books, the classics. I loved the Winnie the Pooh books back in the day. And we're going to talk about how you can actually continue to use those books. We'll also talk about some of the content and whether or not it's all, hey, everything will be good at the end of the day, if there's going to be some lesson in all of them, and choosing some of the best books for those kids or those grandkids that you might have. So, Cynthia, really looking forward to that conversation coming up in just a few minutes. We're also going to talk flood readiness. It's hard to believe that we're already uh, just, uh, just under a month, just over a month, I guess, away from the sixth anniversary of the 2013 floods time flies sandy davis at the city of calgary planning river engineer is going to join us uh, they, the city held a news conference earlier today to talk about some of the preparations that are going into uh flood season here in calgary and believe it or not it actually we're right into the busy time of the year when it comes to high river levels and especially on the bow and elbow i want to get a sense of where we're at, what the forecast is like, what the snowpack is like in the mountains. And so hoping that Sandy can answer a few of those questions and more coming up after four o'clock. Also after four o'clock, a very important day for road safety week. And it's all about passing safely and not just police, fire, EMS, the ones that are obviously there, but also those of us who might be mechanics who are on the side of the road or those who just simply break down, it's important to pass safely. Jeff Kasbrick with the Alberta Motor Association is going to join us to talk a little bit more about that after four o'clock as well. After five o'clock, this one is of kind of a, I'm going to call it a, it's not a handy conversation. It's not something that is, it's, it's an uncomfortable conversation. Let's call it that. Talking about end-of-life financial planning, decision-making, when it comes to funerals, that kind of thing. Chris Turchansky over at ATB Financial is going to join us as they've released the findings of a new report showing one in five Albertans find it uncomfortable to plan for death down the line. We're going to dive into some of the other stats that they found through their surveys. Also, over the weekend, we had the NeuroNexus Hackathon Faison Malik is going to join us and give us a little bit of an overview as to some of the things that they found. And also, one of the things, just chatting with him earlier today, 
really uh, found fascinating is how the community came together over the weekend for this. So really looking forward to that conversation uh, after 5 o'clock as well. And after 5.30 today, Dr. Garnet Sutherland will join us. He's a local doctor, professor at the University of Calgary, also being honored the Governor General's Innovation Award for an Advanced Magnetic Resonance Imaging System to Assist in Surgery. It's a lot of words with a lot of uh, syllables, but we're going to get to the bottom of it and find out what it means to Dr. Sutherland to win such a prestigious award. We'll get to that. We also have a couple of contests to get to. Just a jam-packed show and really looking forward to it. We're going to start talking books right after this here on Calgary Today. All right, let's get into it now with a headline reading, How Children's Books Have Changed. It made me think, man, I own a lot of books. And apparently I'm in the vast minority because the number of books sold in Canada, according to StatsCan, continues to decline for adults. But for kids, continues to rise. Believe it or not, sales of children and juvenile books increased from 58 million to 68 million in the course of three years, 2014 to 2016. I'll post a link to the Family Matters podcast that this is all about uh, on my Twitter, at Calgary Today. While I'm doing that, I want to bring into the program Cynthia Prazo. She is the Director of Student Experience at the Workland School of Education over at the University of Calgary. Uh, Cynthia, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon and and to talk about this. Thank you, Joe. Thanks very much. What kinds of things are you noticing trend-wise when it comes to the the children's books and and what you're seeing, I guess, from a content perspective, first off? Well, I think that's an excellent question. I think content has had to change and move with the times in terms of um, the differences that the differences in children today and how the environment and the world has impacted uh, how children are raised, the kind of experiences they have. So definitely children's literature, I think, has to keep uh, up with those kinds of times. For instance, the differences to do with technology now. So I think that's had a great impact. Um, That in itself could be a whole discussion, um, the pros and the cons of technology and how that impacts um, the kind of literature that, 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 that is happening now. Children who are now much more um, tuned to um, uh, working with their digital, you know, with their iPads, telephones. So that certainly impacts the kind of literature. When we think about the positive in terms of, I think, diversity, So children's literature now, I think, focuses more on diversity, changes that are happening, um, the kinds of experiences, again, the children have, and the development of the child and different um, developments of children. Similarly, inclusivity. So I think there are more books. Um, Todd Parr, uh, who is a wonderful author, the Peace Book, Why Am I Different? He run, he, he um, has a number of books that I think really are very current with the kinds of issues that children might face, particularly young children. Mm-hmm. Um, 
one of the things that I've really noticed as well is, and this was nothing new, I don't think, but you're starting to see a lot more in the way of character development. And so kids are able to actually, uh, over the course of a few different books, be able to build a bit of a rapport with some of these characters that maybe a lot of us haven't heard of. I mean, we we all harken back to the days of Dr. Seuss and Mickey and Minnie and and those kinds of things. But there's there are still a ton of characters that that kids can gravitate towards. Right. I think of the one, The Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Yeah. So not only that, I think that's an excellent point, Joe, in that children can identify with the different characters in the books, which helps them to maybe understand what they might be experiencing. So that's excellent. Also, um, there are graphic novels that are now being produced. Um, Do I support that? I think it has its place, particularly for children who may be challenged in their reading, and this gets them excited about reading, but maybe not as complicated for them. So graphic novels in, like, The Diary of a Wimpy Kid or other ones, I think are excellent for, for young children. And the interesting thing is, as I learned through listening to Family Matters on the Curious Cast podcast network, is that Canada's actually become a bit of a hotbed when it comes to kids' books. Over 2,300 different books were published by Canadian authors in 2016. Really speaks to how well thought of our authors are here in our own backyard. Yes, and I think that's wonderful. We have wonderful Canadian authors um, that certainly I think about in the Early Childhood Education Council for Alberta, we often bring in Canadian authors to speak to the early childhood teachers across Alberta. And it's wonderful, inspiring, and also showcases the great authors of Canada, for sure. Are we still seeing a lot of novels and a lot of books that have some sort of lesson to be learned at the end of the day or are we skating are we getting away maybe from some of that happily ever after side of it and getting into real life things or is it is there been a good mix that way i'd like to believe there still is a good mix um again that your question then leads to uh the critical reader the discerning reader who then how do parents, along with their children, choose the appropriate kinds of books to read? I think that's really important. It is good to have those kind of books that do have a moral, that do have a happy ending, uh, that there is a lesson that comes out of it. Um, but, you know, it's really important for people to preview these books before they go and um, actually sign them out from the library or buy them to make sure that they're appropriate. You segued really well into my next question, which is when you're going through those motions of figuring out what books are appropriate and what isn't, and it's tough to navigate because you have so much to choose from, how do you go about picking the right book for your youngster? Well, it does take a little work, and we know that we're we're in very um, fast-paced world now, but I would encourage parents, caregivers to... Uh, take that time to maybe go online and look how is that book rated. We have wonderful people in libraries that would help um, advise um, children on what are good books, uh, you know, different bookstores. Uh, I think it's really important 
that we be very careful like we would if children are watching TV or what they're on on their, their iPads, um, that they um, are really careful about what they're going to be reading. Is there still some value in some of the older texts? I go back to, you know, the Winnie the Pooh stories and, and stuff, oh. the Garfields and everything in between that I, I know a lot of us grew up uh, reading. Is there still some value in those books? Absolutely. There are those classic books that I would absolutely support. Again, uh, I grew up with those books, too. When I go back and look at some of the fairy tales, some of them are quite dark and scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not so sure I would read them to my grandchildren <laughs> now, but um, there are some excellent books that are classics um, that I, I would I think are important. We shouldn't forget those when we move around when we move along to the more um, current kinds of uh, books that have been produced. I suppose the other part of that becomes is you've got that connection as the adult and you go, hey, I was brought up on this and I learned something from it. And so it creates that uh, connection with your child that maybe uh, you, all you need to do is be able to read to the kid and, and you bring up the memories and the, and the kid's going to be able to see it as well. Well, you've, you've uh, noted two really important things, reading with your child. I think that connection is so important. Uh, and the whole idea of whether it's a classic book or a current book to keep children involved and engaged in reading. Like, it is so important. Mm-hmm. Being able to read to your kids, it's something that might be a little bit uh, overshadowed nowadays. Two or three times a week, in between the time I do to kind of prep my show before I come in, I spend a little bit of time at the school that Aaron teaches at, helping out with different things like uh, sight words and stuff like that. And it's obviously clear as we've gone through the course of this year, which parents take reading with their kids seriously and which ones don't. And whether or not it's, you know, you have other commitments or that kind of thing, I'm not one to judge, but it's just clear in the academic abilities of those kids. Cynthia, uh, Cynthia Prasso is our guest, the Director of Student Experience at the Workland School of Education at the University of Calgary. And Cynthia, one of the things I was able to do over the last few months is uh, read to the cl- uh, to gr- a group of grade ones, actually, uh, for World Read Aloud Day, I think is what it was called. And one of the things that I decided to do just because I like making a you know what out of myself is put on a voice for some of the the kids and, and for each of the characters because I wanted them to get enthusiastic about the idea of reading. And I think kids, they can key on that enthusiasm towards reading. And, and if you as a parent are doing that, then they're more likely the kids are more likely to do that on their own and read on their own. Am I wrong in that assessment? Yeah, and that that's an excellent strategy, and that's what you want to do. What what can you do? And it's also fun to be a kid again. You got to play around with the words. <laughs> you, you, you use you use your accents, accentuating the words. Um, it's really important to do that to modu- make your voice change with it and keep those children engaged, not just reading on a monotone kind of basis. And also to explain to them, why did you choose this book? Talk about the illustrations. Illustrations now, I think, have become a lot more um, creative than perhaps they did many, many years ago or very different. So looking at the illustrations, looking at the author, what is an author? So have those kind of conversations with the children to expand on 
the book, not just sitting down to read the book. That's an amazing part, too, is the illustration part and the, the technology that has been involved in creating these books. And all of a sudden, they're a lot more vibrant. They're a lot more bang right out there. It's less simplistic than uh, in some of those previous readings. Yeah, yes. And, um, you know, there are some, again, I still am a big believer in the actual book mm-hmm. that you can hold and look at. And it's so important for children to sit down and look at them by themselves, or as you say, reading to the children as a group or to individual children at home. But there are some really neat interactive books that are um, can be on, um, on your iPad, uh, but again, you have to be careful about them. There's some very creative ones, too, but mm-hmm. I would uh, you know, I put that sort of down the road on my list. Absolutely. There's just something to having a book in your hand and reading yeah. to a to a youngster because all of a sudden their imaginations get to go uh, a little wild. And like you said, maybe even yours gets to go a little wild as you uh, wax nostalgic or that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Cynthia, I do appreciate the time this afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Let me open up this conversation now for you in the texting world as you're heading out into your cars, that kind of thing. When you have a moment, what was your favorite book growing up? Like I said, I loved Winnie the Pooh. Uh, there was, I think it was like a trilogy of books or, or four different books that were in this box set. And I remember them so vividly. And that was the one thing above and beyond the, I remember reading Hockey Digest as a kid and Sports Illustrated for kids. There were so many different books. Uh, if you've got one that was top of mind for you growing up, 403-974-8255. I'll get to some of the answers next hour. You're listening to Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Let's talk talk about flood readiness here in our city as we get closer and closer to the anniversary of the 2013 flood. And we are into high time here when it comes to our river levels here in the city, hosting a media news conference today to talk more about some of those issues. And joining us now is the planning river engineer for the city of Calgary, Sandy Davis. Sandy, thanks so much for the time this afternoon. Thank you for having me, Joe. What is the city's main message as we go into, I mean, we're basically a month away now from the anniversary of the 2013 flood now. That's right. We are. Yes. And, you know, the city's done a lot in terms of preparation and um, mitigation of river flood damages uh, since 2013. But uh, river flooding can occur anytime in Calgary. And so the time when we're most likely to experience big floods on our rivers is May 15th to July 15th. So that's when we ramp up our campaign about, um, you know, making sure that Calgarians have the information they need so they can prepare, uh, they can understand their risk, and they know how to stay informed if there is a flood. We'll talk a little bit about some of the, the projects that have been going on over the last little while in a second, but I wanted to get a, a bit of an idea as to what the forecasts are telling you. I mean, you, you obviously there's a lot of things at play. The weather is a big part of it, but obviously uh, the other big aspect of it happens to be the snowpack. And, and where are we at on, on both fronts right now? So for the snowpack this year, uh, the snow depth is pretty much average or a little bit below average in the mountains. Um, and so most of our water supply through the year comes from the melting snowpack that we can capture in reservoirs. Um, so, you know, that leads to our water supply outlook for the year looking, you know, fairly average or below average. Um, even though it looks like seasonal forecasts are indicating we may have a wetter than normal spring, 
Um, but none of that says whether we are or aren't going to flood. Those are uh, those river floods are mainly driven by intense large rainstorms that we get, usually over the mountains and foothills, uh, and those can be really difficult to predict. So certainly on you know a seasonal sort of scale, um, but the city does monitor for those conditions. We work really closely with the River Forecast Center, uh, the government of Alberta, and we monitor 24/7 all you know every day all year um, and ramp that up in the spring so that we're looking for the weather conditions. Um, that could cause potential flooding. And so that means we can have the most warning possible so that we can prepare. Uh, and even so, river floods on our rivers in Calgary happen really quickly because we're so close to the mountains. And so it's really important that, um, you know, we are prepared as a city with our response and we practice and we train in that and we update that every year but also that Calgarians are ready. And so um, knowing, you know, that you have an evacuation plan, what you're going to do in a flood, how to prepare your property ahead of time, um, those are things that Calgarians can can do in advance to to try and lessen the likelihood of damages if there is a flood this year. And that's always the, the interesting part whenever it comes to forecasting is we have a hard enough time figuring out what's going to happen five days down the road, let alone, you know, over the next month kind of thing. And so you never know when Mother Nature is going to throw a bit of a curveball that way. You guys have done, obviously, a lot of work in the last few years, and it's always been an ongoing thing in terms of uh, some of the projects that you've been able to, to uh, put together. And I know following the 2013 flood, there were six real big projects that you wanted to get done. Uh, give us a little bit of a status update on on those six, and have we been able to uh, catch up with the, the really big ones that we really needed to get done? Yeah, sure. So um, one of those is the upgrades to the Glenmore Dam. And so the city is putting uh, new steel gates on top of the Glenmore Dam, and that project is underway. So it'll be ready for in, term, um, in time for flood season next year, uh, 2020. And so this year, um, you know, the reservoir, we're able to draw it down uh, again to prepare for flood flood season as we do every year. Um, and so that's happening right now. Um, but those gates are underway, and that will take out, um, you know, take care of a big a chunk of the risk on the Elbow River. Um, the other big project on the Elbow River um, to protect communities up to sort of a 2013-sized flood uh, is the Springbank Offstream Reservoir. And so that project is uh, under under review right now. That mm-hmm. is being led by Alberta Transportation. It's under a federal environmental review uh, and consultation right now. Um, so that has, you know, the, the new government is has re- um, recommitted to that project, and, and we're hoping to see that move forward this year as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those two projects primarily um, protect the Elbow River um, communities downstream, as well as, you know, that includes parts of the eastern part of downtown and the Beltline. Um, on the Bow River, um, there's been several projects that are underway now. Um, similar to on the Elbow River, we do need, you know, the, one of those big, most important projects is an upstream reservoir on the Bow. Um, and so the government of Alberta is doing some feasibility studies right now to look at uh, feasible locations uh, for, the, for a potential reservoir upstream of Calgary on the Bow. Um, so we're, we're being, uh, you know, the city of Calgary is involved in that project as a stakeholder. Um, in addition to that, the, the agreement between the government of Alberta and Transalta is still in place this year. Uh, so that, you know, dictates how the ghost reservoir is operated during a flood to be able to provide more capacity for holding back flood water uh, in the existing ghost reservoir. And so that reservoir is already drawn down, um, you know, for this year's flood season in anticipation of, of being able to capture any potential floods that might come this year. Um, and then what the city has been doing within our own jurisdiction 
Um, there's been several barriers that have been built um, and are being designed and, and worked on um, in the early planning stages with the communities along the Bull River. And so that includes Bonas and Sunnyside, um, potentially Inglewood. We're investigating whether um, there's another barrier needed in Pearson State Park in Inglewood. So those projects are moving along. We, we, did, we were able to complete in 2018 uh, a barrier in West Eau Claire. And so that is one that has been, the flood protection has been integrated into the landscape and the promenade along Eau Claire. Um, and that's one, um, one walking tour that we're featuring this year. And so people can sign up on our website to come and do a walking tour of that area in Eau Claire and see some of the flood mitigation projects between the Peace Bridge and Center Street that have been completed, uh, as well as what's under design right now for that area. When it comes to the the healthy balance, I guess you'll find, because one of the, the challenges, I suppose, in, in a season such as this, it's been so dry in the last couple of years. What kind of, how much of a challenge is it to strike that balance between being uh, protective for floods versus making sure that you've got enough water and reservoirs for uh, potential droughts? That's a really good point. And, you know, it's something that we, both flood and drought are big risks for Calgary, um, living in the area that we do and looking at our future climate, how it may change in the future. Um, so that's something that as water managers and water users, um, we have a really, um, you know, a lot of coordination between water users in the region. And so we do coordinate quite a bit between um, our operators, the operators of the Glenmore Dam, um, the province, Transalta, representatives from the irrigation districts that draw water from the Bull River, um, and everybody has a stake in that. And so it's, it's very well coordinated. And, um, you know, that's something that with the Glenmore Reservoir, we use that for both flood mitigation and water supply. And part of the plan, um, the city's flood resilience plan, and it's for a new reservoir on the Bull River would perform basically the same functions and that it could be adaptable to future climate risks and be able to provide both that flood protection as well as future water supply security for us. So it, it is a balance. It, it's, um, you know, you, it's possible to have floods in a drought year if it's generally dry, but we get a big intense storm over the mountains, we could flood as well. Um, so it's something that we're constantly monitoring for and watching and working with the province to manage those risks. Something we'll definitely be keeping an eye on as that anniversary again gets ever so near. And as uh, Sandy did mention, we are right into the thick of things in terms of flood season here in Calgary. Sandy, thanks so much for the time this afternoon. Thank you very much. Sandy Davis is the Flood Risk Awareness Program Manager with the City of Calgary. Again, providing a little bit of uh, a forecast, although as she mentioned, as long as Mother Nature doesn't drop, you know, eight inches of rain on the mountains in a 24-hour span, we should be okay. Fingers crossed. Although, again, the moisture would be welcomed by a lot of people, I think, especially how dry it's been the last couple of years. As you hop into the car, keep in mind today is National Slow Down Move Over Day. For more context on that, we welcome to the program Jeff Kasbrick from the Alberta Motor Association. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thanks very much, Joe. What does today mean to you in your eyes? Well, today is all about uh, reminding everybody that we all have a part to play when it comes to uh, road safety. Um, we're all in this together. Uh, we often talk about the kind of driving community that we want to see, and uh, and that's one where everybody makes it home safely, and that includes those that are working at the roadside. And the unfortunate reality is that working at the roadside can be a very risky business. And in fact, actually, AMA responds to one high-risk call uh, every 14 minutes. 
And so as a result of that, it's really important for us to be raising awareness, not just today, but all other days of the year around uh, the importance of roadside safety and the role that we can all play uh, in in making our roads uh, just a little bit more safer and, and the kind of streets that we want to see. And I know that there has been some movement on that front in terms of maybe t- uh, changing the color that is allowed for tow truck operators and that to a blue or some other color to uh, distinguish themselves a little bit more. That's exactly right. So one of the pieces as to how we think we can distinguish ourselves, uh, and because we run into that problem of the fact that we're only able to use amber flashing lights for tow trucks at this point in time, is by incorporating another color in addition to amber. And and so not only does that help with the distinguishment, however, there's also a lot of science behind uh, the colors that we can use. And a lot of research indicates that blue colored light um, is particularly vibrant and visible in uh, low light circumstances as well as inclement weather uh, such as a blizzard and since uh, it's so often that our tow truck operators are actually responding to calls during those low light circumstances or inclement weather circumstances uh, that's why we're suggesting that tow trucks be permitted to have blue uh, in addition to the amber that they already have. And I know that time is of the essence for so many people they want to be there yesterday but at the same time it doesn't matter whether you're in the closest lane or the furthest lane away you should be slowing down because you don't know why they've happened to slow down in that one lane it might be because there might be an animal that might have been hit or that kind of thing and you might be uh, actually going towards something that isn't necessarily seen because it's not right in front of that vehicle on the side of the road you you actually hit on a really good point so uh Uh, Alberta, as I said, is fortunate because our slow down move over law, that's the law that requires you that um, if you're passing an emergency scene to slow down to 60 kilometers per hour or less if the speed limit is already uh, less than 60 kilometers per hour. However, what sets Alberta apart, unfortunately, is that our law uh, only applies to the immediate adjacent lane of travel. And that is different from every other province across Canada that has a slow down move over law. And not only is it uh, is it complex and confusing to say the immediate adjacent lane of travel, but it's also really difficult to even understand what that means. And and so it creates this, this sense of confusion. There can sometimes be difficulty in enforcement, but all the more concerning, and, and I think the most important point around it, is that you actually create these large variations in speed. Uh, just imagine this, that you're, uh, you're approaching a roadside scene on Deerfoot. Um, uh, someone in one lane is slowed down to 60, and then you have another person passing them at 100 or 110 kilometers. Or even more concerning than that, uh, someone is approaching you as you're going 60 in the same lane uh, at 100 or 110 kilometers per hour. And these wild fluctuations in speed uh, creates an, uh, an even more dangerous situation than uh, what already exists uh, for someone working at the roadside. So we believe that Alberta's law um, should apply to all lanes of travel in the same direction as well. And, and again, it's just a few extra seconds in passing that roadside scene uh, just to ensure everybody is safe. Mm, some good points there, uh, Jeff. I do appreciate the time this afternoon. Thank you so much for uh, giving us a little bit of insight into uh, today, of course, being slow down move over day. And thanks to you, Joe. And it is, of course, as well, Road Safety Week and a great response here on the text line saying, hey, watch out for the crews fixing roads, guardrails, picking up garbage, doing the snow plowing, paint lines, all that stuff. They're all vulnerable. Stay safe out there, everybody.
Raise your hand if you agree with this statement. I'm uncomfortable planning for death. Yeah, I think everybody is. But it was the focus of an ATB wealth survey in not too long ago. And the research has come back showing one in five Albertans are uncomfortable planning for or even talking to their family about death and some of the things that come along with it, planning for the funeral and all the fun financial aspects of things. And I wanted to go a little bit deeper, get a little bit more context on this from ATB Wealth. President Chris Turchansky joining us now on the program. Chris, thanks so much for the time. Thank you very much for having me. What is one key takeaway that you looked at as you're going through this report? I won't make you uh, read all the numbers verbatim, but I'm sure there's some things as you look through uh, the surveys when that kind of took me by surprise a little bit or that really put it into context for me. Yeah, I think there's two sort of things, one on the positive side and then one on the, the negative side. And, and I think the positive side uh, is that we are seeing more people today, and when we look and compare across Canada, that understand the importance of having a will and having the conversation. And I'll stress a lot, it's having the conversation that is so critically important. And, and we have, you know, 35% of the people, but we still on the negative or on the unfortunate side, there's 51% of the people who haven't had a will. And I think the number one reason is, they don't know where to start. And I think that's one of the things that hopefully this information will help paint a little bit of a clearer picture for picture for people in terms of where they can get started. And maybe from your aspect of things, where do people get started? Is it just a matter of having that conversation with family first and foremost, or should you be uh, doing things on your own maybe first? Yeah, I think that's what the survey also uncovered is, and I think intuitively we know this is, you know, money is really emotional by itself. It doesn't matter if it's uh, tied to sort of a, a will or an estate, but when you add money to an, a will and estate and to the passing of a loved one, it becomes almost supercharged. And a lot of times we avoid that conversation. So I think the first point, uh, the first thing to do is to start to have the conversation and to, to really start to drill into it. And then from there, it will typically lead to, you know, seeing a professional to help you with the will. Most important after you even draft a will is to to have conversations with those with the people impacted uh, from the will that you've had a chance to draw. One of the stats: is that three in ten Albertans surveyed feel on feel on average the right age to draw up a personal will is forty two. And so we asked about why, but what about the when? When should people start having these conversations? Yeah, it's interesting. The other sort of the next two most popular times were you know, after children and then after marriage. And I think it's really around major life events. When something has changed, it's important to start to plan. So, you know, 42 is um, is, is potentially a good age, but if you're having children, if you're having, uh, if you've just been married, you know, being able to create that peace of mind, which was the number one reason people provided for actually, you know, going through the process and creating a will is providing that peace of mind after those major life events is key. Talk a little bit about the, just the need as well to have these conversations because essentially all you're doing is is kicking the ball down the field without actually dealing with the issue at hand. And so eventually, if, if worse comes to worse, you're really putting a bunch of your family members into an even more stressful situation above and beyond uh, your own death. Yeah, it's interesting. Of the people that uh, have a will, 71% have talked about the existence of the will. 
but only 37% have really talked about how it will impact them. And I think those are the more meaningful conversations that are challenging. It's hard, I think, about my own situation with my own kids or or with my parents to, to sit down and have that conversation about, you know, my own mortality and the impact that that could have or my parents. I think we, we all sort of scare or are scared away from that conversation, but it's critically important to to have that, to make sure that we have peace of mind, to make sure that, you know, our wishes are really taken care of. And even beyond that is having that conversation uh, with professionals and that just to get a sense of what all needs to be talked about. Because I think a lot of people go, okay, well, I just want my bank account put here. But then they don't think about the assets and the other things that they have uh, sitting on their plate. Yeah, I think there's a lot of misunderstandings in terms of I'll just make all my accounts joint and it'll just pass from me to my spouse. And in some cases, everything may work really smooth like that. But there's a number of things that... You know, unless you're involved and sort of have a deeper understanding of all the rules and regulations that can very frequently get missed and can cause a lot of stress and strain for your loved ones in a very difficult time. So seeking the advice of a professional is, you know, always a good thing to do. And then even beyond that, there's some things that, you know, might not get thought of at the time. I look at uh, a funeral, for example, or even beyond that is something simple like, hey, your logins for your email or your Facebook account. I mean, those kinds of things can can really go a long way in helping family members uh, deal with the, the unforeseen. Yeah, it was interesting. And I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I read a stat that there's going to be a crossover point in, in 2000 and. 25 to 2030 somewhere well facebook will actually have more deceased users than you know users who are are living just you know because of your point there's the simple fact that you know sharing your passwords and and being able to sort of turn that off are, are important things that a lot of people forget about and then it's an unfortunate reminder to their surviving loved ones Mm -hmm. absolutely chris i do appreciate the time this afternoon thank you so much thank you very much i appreciate you having me on Chris Terchansky is the president of ATB Wealth here on Calgary Today talking about planning for the eventualities of life. The NeuroNexus Hackathon was this past weekend. A lot of innovation being highlighted. Joining us now is the executive co-lead, Faison Malik, who gives us a little bit of insight and some context into the weekend. Uh, thanks so much for the time today, Faison. Oh, of course not. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. How was the weekend? Um, it was great. It was uh, so the week over the weekend we had the Health Hack Weekend, which was really um, bringing together innovators or um, students at the University of Calgary and around the city to. Uh, compete and uh, tackle some of the the most difficult challenges in uh, brain science and mental health. So over the weekend, we were lucky to um, able to host our event at the new Shulik School of Engineering Multiplex Makers Concept, where innovators were prototyping and hacking all weekend to build their prototypes for a demo day, which was actually on Monday or yesterday at the new Central Library. Mm. Anything as you look through the weekend and you kind of soak it all in that really sticks out to you? Um, I think what really stuck out to me and what really validated the entire program was throughout the um, event, uh, teams would come up to me and tell me how supported they felt and how uh, encouraged they were by not only the, the large organizing team that was involved with NeuroNexus, but also our incredible sponsors that really championed supporting the innovators and making sure they had everything that we needed. We had mentors from all walks of life, including uh, business, uh, industry, community, 
um, charity foundations, and uh, they just felt like they had all the tools they needed to succeed. And so hearing that from the innovators was just uh, very validating and felt Obviously, a, a big link that I see through a lot of the different ones that to, that I've seen in the last few days is technology seems to be a really big link. Yes, definitely. Um, I think there are a lot of emerging technologies that uh, have a huge potential to uh, really revolutionize healthcare. And I think a program like NeuroNexus aims to really accelerate the um, implementation of this technology um, into um specific aspects of healthcare like neuroscience, like um, addressing mental health, whether that be through machine learning, um, app development, improving user interfaces, or um, building new technology to treat um, neurological conditions. The incredible part that I look at as well is just uh, the fact that, hey, this is all happening in our own backyard, and that's got to be something that really uh, drives your efforts forward is seeing all the different work and how the excitement sort of uh, snowballs a bit, I guess. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and we've always felt that Calgary is slowly becoming a hotspot for innovation, especially for us, what's important is in, in, in medicine. And so, yeah, as I said, the amount of community and sponsorship support we had from some incredible partners like the Schulich School of Engineering, uh, the MS Society of Canada, and uh, the Matt Branchout Neurological Foundation, they just really made this feel special for us, and we couldn't have done it without them. Um, the, yeah, the... It just it just really felt like it was the right time for something like this to happen. While we did organize the event, it, we felt like it really needed to happen, and it just happened on its own. Um, everyone that was so passionate about this really came together and uh, made it happen. It was a very, very large team. And I know that you guys are, are still soaking in the, the glory, so to speak, of this last weekend, but our plans are already underway to bring something uh, similar down the road, whether it's a year or six months, or, or what's the game plan going forward now? Yes, absolutely. So um, we the next uh, we're already talking to with uh, new with our, our current sponsors and new supporters and new partners to bring this back event back in the next six months next year. Um, there's a lot of talking going on right now. We're still kind of processing, but um, the community can definitely expect another event like this to think coming up very soon. Bazan Malik, the executive co-lead of NeuroNexus, the hackathon happening this past weekend. You're listening to Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Joined now in studio, Dr. Garnett Sutherland and one of six to be honored with Governor General's Innovation Awards. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. It's really great to be here, Joe. Talk a little bit about, uh, first off, the award itself, and when did you find out about it, and what does it mean to you to be uh, given this award? Well, I found out about this award maybe uh, 10 or so days ago, but it was announced just uh, the day before Mm -hmm. yesterday. Uh, This award um, is very humbling. Uh, One, its name, Mm -hmm. and second, it reflects so well upon all of the people across our nation that participated in the development of our uh, imaging technology, and more recently, our robotic systems that we use uh, during surgery. What's amazing to me is the technological technological advances that we've seen uh, in the last 20, 30, 40 years, and even beyond that. I'd imagine our great-great-grandpappies and grandmothers were sitting there, could never imagine where we've come from that. And uh, Give us a little bit of insight into your specific field and what it is that got you recognized in the first place. Well, you know, here in Calgary, Joe, I'm a neurosurgeon. Mm -hmm. And so in addition to my clinical practice, 
I've had the great fortune of participating in the creation of some technology. And our technologies are sort of designed um, to improve surgical care, and in particular, the outcome of people with neurosurgical disease. Um, like many, I got into my field by observing some mentors. Right. I had a great mentor in Montreal by the name of Theodore Rasmussen, and I went on to have a second great mentor in London, Ontario, whose name was Charles Drake. Hmm. Did it take? Does it take you by surprise? Like if you could go back in time and talk to fifteen-year-old self and say, "Hey, this is the kind of path that you're going towards," would that have taken you by surprise? Were you always thinking that this was going to be your path to uh, to your life? Ah, for sure not. I think when I was fifteen, I was like many fifteen-year-old people mm-hmm. wondering what I would do in the future, and I think one of my initial decisions was to go to university and study science, and then things continue to develop along one's pathway, and I became projected towards neurosurgery. Mm-hmm. Was that something that, did, do you remember that moment where the light bulb kind of clicked on and you went, yep, this is, this is what I want to do, this is what I want to try to accomplish? It's great that you asked that. I had that perhaps light bulb when I was a medical student wondering what I would want to be And I went to Montreal Neurological Institute many, many years ago. (laughs) Like three or four years uh, ago. (laughs) That fellow that I mentioned, Theodore Rasmussen, who was inspirational in his approach to people with complex neurosurgical problems. And that probably was when I decided this would be my, my pathway. Very cool. When it comes to uh, the technology that we mentioned before, how difficult or challenging has it been to try to stay on top of things? Because it seems like every year we're seeing uh, new developments and we're seeing new ideas that are coming to the fore. From my viewpoint as, as a person who's an innovator, I sometimes follow the pathway that John F. Kennedy set out for us when he said, we choose to go to the moon and the American people collaborated. All of America were able to accomplish something that a single individual could only dream of. So in my domain, when I see a problem, I collaborate with talented people from various sectors from across our, our great country towards achieving that goal. Outside of being awarded with the actual award, what's in your future? What do you have on on tap as you continue with your research and your development? Yeah, um, this award is a great motivator. It makes our research group and the people that we collaborate feel quite proud. And our future is to continue the development of these kinds of technologies, in particular robotics, Mm-hmm. apply robotic technology to the care of people with neuro- with surgical problems to improve their outcome and thereby decrease healthcare costs that we all talk about. Mm-hmm. Dr. Sutherland, again, congratulations on the Governor General's Innovation Award. Thank you so much for joining us and giving, giving us a little bit of uh, insight into your field. Okay, thank you, Joe. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. Dr. Garnett Sutherland over at the University of Calgary. Again, the Governor General's Innovation Award. Again, as we were chatting off air just a short time ago, some amazing things happening just in our own backyards and glad to be able to highlight just one of those great stories. 
just want to take a moment to thank you for taking the time to download and listen to the Calgary Today podcast. Don't forget to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll chat with you soon. Thank you.